so when I was in fourth grade, we did a little play called Of Mice and Mozart. And for some reason, our music teacher thought it would be a good idea to show the group of fourth graders Amadeus. (laughs) 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 Significant portions of it. (laughs) So when I watched it again, probably like five or six years ago, I was like, I know I've seen this before. No, c'est ce que je disais. Oui, oui, c'est vrai, c'est la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. Time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No. I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel in the Sun. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it! My life has value! Babel, Alejandro González Iñárritu. Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Three artists in the presentation of the Palm d'Or. Adele, Leia, and Abdel Afid Kenshi. Uh, hello everybody and welcome to podcast 52 uh, com. Five of us are on it today so hopefully we won't be too crowded We're going to be talking some of our favourite almost memorable Best Picture winners of the Oscars in, in the past 90 years. We've got Audrey from the States. Hello. Hello. And we also have from Australia, we've got Doug. Hi, everyone. And uh, more close to home, we have Joe. Hey, guys. And Kira. Hello. And myself, Robin, obviously. Um, Bianca's not with us this week for personal reasons, which probably are all aware of. So I've given her the week off, although she did insist last minute that she would do it but I, I talked her out of it and I, I know we're all thinking of her and everything that's happened so what we did we're just going to pick some of our favourite best picture winners from the from the history uh, we'll start with Audrey uh, what would be your, one of your first picks so my first pick from 1961 is West Side Story I am a big fan I am a well documented Russ Tamblin stan so very into it um choreography is just amazing in this movie um like america and cool the dance sequences are just incredible i mean i you know it we can talk about the whole dubbing situation with natalie wood and everything and (laughs) and how effective that is but for the most part it it works really really well and i think it's um a pretty universally beloved film i would say i would agree it it was one of the ones that I would have picked had you not picked it, I think. Um, <laughs> I've just bought it, actually, on DVD. Um, again, I bought it the second time because the, it had the script with it, so I had to buy it. And, and the, the the influence it then had over the whole musical genre as well. I mean, even into something like, you know, Michael Jackson, that he then sort of paid homage to that in his bad video. Like, you know, that, that, that he, he was so influenced by that movie. So for it to still be having an impact decades later. Excellent choice. 
So if we can move across to Joe, what would be your first um, best I picture? Yeah. I went with another iconic winner and another one of my uh, all-time favorite films, and it's Casablanca. Again, you know, I feel like I don't even really need to say much more because it's iconic, uh, but I will. <laughs> it, um, you know, even if you've not seen Casablanca, you're familiar with the music or the quotes or some of the visuals. It's just, it sort of transcended um, its existence as just a film. And, you know, we still see its its influence um, in, in films today. And, yeah, I, what I really loved about it being a Best Picture winner is that it was loved at its time and it didn't take decades for people to appreciate it that the filmmakers um, and the cast and the crew got the recognition that they deserve at the time as well um, and it sort of gives I feel like it gives us like as film fans and film critics um, a connection with the film fans and film critics and kind of the academy of the past for me you know I think I watched it for the first time with my grandmother when I was little didn't understand a lot of it but knew that there was something special about it so kind of to it again, again. And um, when I rewatched it recently, I just was struck again by what I consider one of the greatest scenes in, in film history, um, the Marciez scene, um, where Victor Laszlo's character, or Victor Laszlo, um, starts singing the French national anthem over the German soldiers in the bar, and then the whole bar joins in, and they're, oh, my, like, across the emotions, it's, it's just absolutely incredible. I, I have kind of, my I goose pimples just, like, talking about it let alone watching it so yeah yeah if you hadn't brought that scene up I definitely would have because it's so amazing and like being a history person knowing that so many of the extras in that scene were actual refugees who had had to flee during the war so that it was all real for them and like you can see it on their faces how much that act of defiance even in film means something it's like yeah I agree goosebumps everywhere (laughs) Doug what is your first choice today for your best picture selections? Sure. Uh, so my first one is a fairly recent one. It's uh, Moonlight. So I, at the time, I was, uh, being a big fan of musicals, I was a huge fan of La La Land. Uh, I'd loved Whiplash, so I loved Damien Chazelle's work. Um, I was really into La La Land. I'd seen it several times in the cinema. I, you know, I was playing the soundtrack nonstop, so I was actually... At the time, quite crushed that it lost, particularly in the fashion that it lost, that, you know, I got to be excited for two and a half minutes that it had won and then have it taken away by Faye Dunaway. But in looking back and in re-watching Moonlight, I've now obviously, I've watched it again a couple of times and, you know, it really was the right choice. They made the right choice because it's a film that is incredibly unique in comparison to all other Best Picture winners, it really does stand alone as something really unique and representative of, 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 of something that the, the Academy had never really acknowledged before. And not, not just because it's, you know, it's the quote-unquote black movie or it's the gay movie. It, you know, it's a, it's a universal theme in that it, it's about just identity, searching for your identity, whether that be your sexual identity or your personal identity or cultural identity. Um, and it's just like the screenplay is, is, is fantastic. The cast is amazing. Um, it's so beautifully filmed. You know, Mahershala Ali's performance is is brief, but so just the, the impact that he leaves. Admittedly, I wasn't the biggest fan of La La Land. Um, before and after all the hype around it, I must add, like, there is a lot more to identify with with Moonlight 
and it's a far more accessible film mm. to people watching it. And I think that is what will see it stand the test of time, I think. Because I think the themes that it touched on, they're always going to be themes in everybody's lives, no matter what point in history we're at. Absolutely. Uh, there's a podcast we did over one of our very early podcasts when Al Robinson used to host. All right, last chance. What's going to win Best Picture? No, La La Land. Joel? La La Land. Robin? I'm going to stick, say Moonlight. Stick to my guns. Moonlight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm going to say La La Land. We sat through those Oscars and we did the podcast while we were watching them. So you get our live reaction to that fiasco (laughs) at the end. And it's a bit, I always go back and listen to just that that five minutes where everyone's the la-la land. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah? Oh. Oh! Yeah, okay. Woo! So that's that. Oh, my God. So sorry, Robin. Oh, well. (laughs) It's not the worst. It's not the worst win ever, is it? Right, I'm gonna go, everybody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Robin. Go get right. some sleep. Yeah. Thanks for sticking in with us. No problem. No problem. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Basically, La La Land fans were on the podcast. I was a Moonlight fan, <laughs> so they were like screaming and shouting, and then what? Holy shit! What? Holy mother of God! Really? What? Wait, wait, what? I don't understand. Wait, what? Oh, fucking real. Wait, where are they? What's going on? Okay, they read it wrong and moved. They read Born Baby read it wrong. Seriously? And yeah. Robin just left. <laughs> the moves just shifted. It was amazing. It's amazing <laughs> to listen to. Dig it up and. So, Kira, let's go with you then. What would be your uh, first, first best picture winner that you've chosen today? Um, I think I'll start in the same style that Joe did and go with one of the films that is like one of my all-time favourites. And that is No Country for Old Men, which I think won back in 2008, so it's like 10 years ago now. I just love this film. Again, it's kind of sentimental reasons. When I watched it, there was one part I jumped out and I threw my drink over my mum. And I think it's the only time in my life I've actually soaked my mum and got away with it. Um, So obviously it, it helped me get away with that, which is amazing sentimental value aside it blows me away every time i watch it like i i just love so much about it like i think the performances are amazing um javier bardem especially like he's one of my favorite actors because of this film that's the kind of impact it had and it's got that kind of western feel to it which i love i'm a massive fan of westerns and this kind of put a more um contemporary twist on that and it you know it built tension beautifully. It offsets it with quite a lot of sort of dark humour. I think yeah, I I just love it. The only thing I can criticise about it is the way it ended. But do you know what? Can't all be perfect, can we? It's just the way it is. Yeah, I love I love the ending. I think people judged it from a general Western point of view. Or uh, when you need yeah. to, you need it wrapping up a little bit, but it doesn't. You know, he gets away and, and Tommy Lee Jones talks about a dream. I think yeah. only the Coen brothers could have got away with that. I think 90% of the directors out there to tried yes, that, it would have failed. I'm looking for Llewellyn Moss. Did you go up to his trailer? Yes, I did. Well, I'd say he's at work. Do you want to leave a message? Where does he work? I can't say. 
Where does it work? Sir, I ain't at liberty to give out no information about our residence. Where does it work? Did you not hear me? We can't give out no information. So my first pick, I'm gonna, I've got kind of two kind of westerns in my picks. I'm going to go with the latest one in my pick, which is Unforgiven. But this year was, for me, sentimentally, this was the... And I've got lots of videotapes of the Academy Awards stuff somewhere. You tape them every year. I don't do it now, but I used to. This was the first <laughs> one I videotaped. So somewhere around there, there's the Unforgiven videotape, whether it still plays or not, I don't know. And I used to just watch them over and over again. Uh, this was a particularly weak year for, for cinema, I would say. But I think Clint Eastwood was so beloved. And this is a this is a really good film. People don't really talk about it, and they don't really class it as as one of the great Best Picture winners, but I think it is. I'm kind of ashamed to say that I tried to watch it, and I could not get into it. I, I did turn it off. Like I, I'm going to say that because like it's, it's considered a sin, isn't it? But like <laughs> I, I just really could not get into it, and especially I felt like I was letting everybody down who was involved in it. <laughs> I think it's it's a genre he helped define, and 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 it had kind of died for quite a while. Obviously, the western was nowhere near as popular as it was, you know, a couple of decades earlier. So for him to kind of revitalize that genre and bring it back, and it was certainly like my my father was really into Clint Eastwood movies, and I guess as a child I never really understood it because by that point everybody had kind of moved on from the western. So for me, seeing Unforgiven was the first kind of Western where it made me realise that that genre was something I should be taking notice of as a film fan, you know, that, that I had been ignoring it for such a long time. And it, and obviously not every Western is a great movie because a lot of them are fairly sort of hokey and silly, but when when a Western is great, it can be the best cinema there is. And it's still, it's still a genre that we're still seeing pop up every now and again. He knew that genre better than anybody, and... He really brought it back to life, even even briefly brought it back to life, and I think it obviously deserved to win everything it did. So let's go back to Audrey there. What would be your second best picture pick? So I'm going to go a little more modern, um, and my second pick is Titanic, because I love Titanic. It came out when I was in elementary school, and everybody was obsessed with it, and I also loved it. And... It's not just because, like, Leonardo DiCaprio is dreamy and he and Kate Winslet are an amazing couple and probably should be in real life, too. I just love the world building that exists that James Cameron was able to do with this, where I feel like every single person on the ship has their own story. And some of the elements that always stick with me have nothing to do with the Jack and Rose storyline. It's you know, the, the mother in third class reading her, telling her her two kids like an Irish fairy tale to get them to not freak out while the ship is sinking, and the old couple who is just spooning in bed as the waters, like, rise. That's the stuff that sticks with me, and I really appreciate it, and honestly, I'm kind of bummed out that they're making four more Titanic movies. I don't know why that's happening. <laughs> he just announced it, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, does everyone love Titanic? Yes, yeah. unashamedly. Yeah. Like, I hate when people are mean about this. And you know the way, like, like years after films come out, especially popular films, and I say popular with like a capital P, 
it becomes trendy and kind of cool to be like mean about them and to sort of be like, oh, that wasn't as good as we kind of thought it was. With Titanic, it is an exceptional film in terms of filmmaking, like on top of kind of the emotion that it like evokes from you. Um, I remember seeing it when they re-released it in 3D a couple of years ago. I don't know if you guys went to see that. Um, and just seeing it on the big screen, because like Audrey, I was a child when it came out, so I didn't see it in the cinema. So seeing it on the big screen, I was bawling my eyes out. And again, I obviously knew what happened. I knew that I was being manipulated emotionally. But I was there. I was on that ship with them. And I was just, yeah, completely swept away by the whole thing. And I still love it. Uh, so Joe, what's your um, what's your second pick? My second pick is um, The Sound of Music. Uh, because like Doug, I'm a big musical fan. So yeah, another one that I kind of associate with maybe Christmas time and being at home with my family um, and watching it as, as a child again. Um, and you know, it being the sort of light, happy musical about singing children and nuns and all that. And then all of a sudden it kind of shifts and you have the drama and you know, it's set against the backdrop of um, Nazism. So there's something kind of, as you, age, as you age with it, I think you get more out of it. That's certainly been my experience. Obviously, Julie Andrews and the lovely Christopher Plummer. Kind of like Casablanca, you know, it, it's sort of, in a way, transcended its life just as a film because, you know, the songs are sort of, you know, you see them in ads and things like that. Just... Yeah, the kind of aesthetic and the cultural importance and historical importance of it are still sort of talked about today. I just, I just love it. It just makes me, makes me really happy. And watching it each time, that bit at the end when they have to escape, I'm holding my breath. And hmm. you know, like Titanic, I know how it ends, um, but I'm still there for the ride. There are few things more disappointing to me in life than when I first found out that when the real Von Trapp family singers escaped... They did not climb over the Alps. They got on a train. <laughs> oh. I was so mad. But this was a movie like that I loved when I was a kid. This was one of the those movies that was a two VHS pack. Oh, yeah. So you had to switch in the middle. Um, and I did that constantly. Like I would just rewind it and watch it again. Loved it. Doug, uh, what's your next one? Uh, so my next one is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Now, I think during that period when those movies came out, there was kind of this assumption that they were going to wait for the third movie to give it best picture. And I think at the time that was a little bit risky because the third film could have been terrible. I mean, that there was that assumption that well, we, we know these three films are coming one each year, so we're not going to get we're going to nominate the other two, but we'll give best picture to the third one. And Obviously, it swept, you know, everything it was nominated for and deservedly so. But I, I still feel like it's, it is the best film of the trilogy. I know a lot of people, there's some conjecture around that. But for me, you know, the, people make fun of the fact that it had the five, five or six different endings and it kept going. And for me, it could have gone for five hours because I was so into the, the, that whole trilogy at the time. I, You know, it was such a... An, an event that it, you know each year around Christmas time that we got one Lord of the Rings film. I thought I think the release strategy was really clever. Um, obviously, the production, what they managed to achieve in terms of the scope of it, uh, you know, it really harkened back to movies of old where they were that kind of epic, 
you know sprawling uh, sort of journey adventure um, and you know the ensemble cast is fantastic the visual effects Peter Jackson's direction I mean I, I, I would worry that nowadays something like that would not win because they have this complete aversion to, to, to rewarding blockbusters and popular films and you know that that it, it may not have been as successful as it as it was back then if it was released today. But uh, you know there, there are a few. If you were into that that trilogy, it was kind of the culmination of that that whole journey, and it was such a sort of cathartic release that you know everything wrapped up, and it's such a beautiful ending, and the score music is fantastic, and you know the, 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 there's not much more that needs to be said. I think everybody. Is in agreement that it was an amazing. The whole trilogy was an amazing achievement, and and the final chapter was the peak of that. Yes, it's a shame the second one didn't. With it, I think you're right. With it, two thousand and one, they probably thought, yeah, we're gonna do, we're gonna reward it in two years. Because um, mm. I think a lot, I think the Fellowship of the Ring was at one point was the favorite. It was gonna win. Yeah, but, but yeah. it just kind yeah. of vanished. And the second one. The, for me, the second one is is the best, and they just kind of. I don't think Peter Jackson even got nominated for best director. No. The third no. one, yeah, I mean, they just. It, it certainly was. It certainly was a win for the trilogy, not just not just, which is unfortunate for you know lost in translation, but that's the way it is. I'm afraid. <laughs> so Kira, over to you. I will go with a slightly older one now for my second choice. Now we'll go back to. The Godfather, um, which kind of, it marks a point for me, like, post-Godfather films are what I'm hottest on, like, anything, for me, The Godfather sort of marks a divide, like, in my eyes, I'll probably watch an older film one day, and I'll say, actually, no, this is the film now, Um, where sort of we have the modern films and classic films, Um, so it's kind of a benchmark. For me at the minute and th- there is so much to the godfather that at least to me personally um means so much it's it's got massive connotations on family loyalty there's so many lessons that you can learn from it um and i think it's the fact that it's such an all-rounder um if that makes sense in in terms of what it provides um it's also the film that kind of got me hooked on Al Pacino, who I'm a massive fan of. I love it, and it's it's such a great discussion topic as well. I actually remember going to a networking event at work and spending two hours speaking with an accountant about everything that The Godfather offers. And I just, I think it's always going to be a massive film for people to talk about that will bring them together. Um, regardless of however everybody feels about it. If you don't like it, you know, there's plenty to talk about why you don't like it. And the only film to ever spawn a sequel to win Best Picture as well. Yeah. Probably as good. Um, yeah, that was a great pick. I mean, the second one as well probably is probably equally as worthy. I think people have their favourites as well. Yeah. The third one was never going to win. Um, no. Right, so I'll, I'll go to 1990 now, when the third one was nominated then. Uh, my second pick would be Dances with Wolves. It's, there's a lot of films in the history of the... <laughs> little laugh there from Doug. There's a lot of films in the history of the Academy Awards that got a bad rap um, mm. because of the film they beat rather than the film that they are. This was a film I saw with my dad, 
yeah, as I said, this was the time when I was getting into the Oscars, and this was the, on the big screen when you when you were a kid. This this blew me away. This was like a turning point in my life. As for Goodfellas, you know, I think people judge it on Goodfellas that if if that should have won, the way that ordinary people is perhaps judged on Raging Bull. But you know, I'm not going to say which one I prefer. But for me, Dancers Rules was was a real going back to the classic. You know, it ticked every single box that the Academy looked probably still look for now. Things are a bit more fickle now, but back then, you know, the eighties are very muddled, and this was like the epic, the actor making a film, great part of history, great book, you know, everything about it, and John Barry's score as well was breathtaking. I mean, you can't fault the cinematography and things like that with it, you know. Mm. How how Goodfellas it's not, for me it's not how Goodfellas didn't win it's how how would have Goodfellas won you know and it's and it's a topic that we've spoken about for, for like twenty five years Goodfellas probably possibly would win today and I'm not sure if much has changed I don't know if it would but for me Dancers and Wolves not even a guilty pleasure unashamedly is one of my favourite Best Picture winners. It's just a shame it had to go up against Goodfellas for me. But if it had been released a year earlier, it could have beat Driving Miss Daisy and we'd all be happy. But, <laughs> you know, what what do you guys think of, of, of that, you know, without comparing it to the Goodfellas thing? Do, do we like this film? Yeah, I, 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 cause I, I watched it last year. And because it has that stigma against it of what it, what it beat rather than why it won, I think I agree with you. It's unfair, and that happens a lot of times. I, you know, it's kind of similar to uh, how green was my valley beating Citizen Kane. But when you actually watch how green was my valley, it's not an amazing film, and it's obviously not as a, an amazing achievement as Citizen Kane. But it's still a decent film, and it's still a well-made film. And it's the same with Dancers with Wolves. It's it's wonderfully uh, crafted and produced, and you know the the cinematography is is stunning. Um, and and Kevin Costner is great. Uh, you know, there's obviously a bit, you know, there's some conjecture around the whole white man saviour thing, that, that element that people uh, take as exception with. But, um, it, yeah, had it not beat Goodfellas, I, I feel like it would be elevated a lot higher than what people give it credit for. And I think a lot of people who demonise it like that probably haven't sat down and watched it recently. They're looking back at it at that moment in history of what it beat in that time rather than looking at the film itself slight tangent but that's one of my pet peeves when people say i'm just going to take goodfellas and dancing with wolves as examples when people say oh goodfellas lost and it's like no dancers with wolves won you can't you don't it's like you don't get unnominated you know you <laughs> you just didn't win you didn't lose anything you just does that make sense you yeah. Know, like, yeah 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 um it just i don't know it's just something that annoys me because it's kind of sad it's sort of like dismissive to the other films or other actors or other you know creatives who were nominated aside from how amazing that film was i think in terms of the achievement and the way it paved for films today like kevin costner and clint eastwood as well with unforgiven and some of the films he'd done before that i think it's you know important to note that they kind of made the way for actors to go into directing over to you, Audrey. Yeah, well, while we're talking about movies that have been unfairly demonized because they quote-unquote beat out the subjectively better movies, uh, mine is Ordinary People. 
because Ordinary People is a movie that I had spent my entire, like, film viewing life hearing things about, being like, oh, it's just this, like, treacly, sentimental family movie that is, um, you know, it, it beat out Raging Bull, and that's garbage, and all this stuff. And then I actually watched it, and it's really good. Like, Robert Redford, as a director, it's very, very clear how well he is able to work with actors and how well he is able to guide them into really strong performances. And, like, yes, it is a family drama, but the dynamics within the family are so interesting and so, like, evolved and developed. Like, Mary Tyler Moore in this movie is incredible. Like, the physical look of distaste on her face whenever she has to interact with her son is amazing. And it's, it's like, so nuanced and um, Dad, it's one. not over the top ever. Carol thought I knew. Of course, why wouldn't I? It happened over a month ago. Quit? When? Where have you been every night? Nowhere. Around. The library, mostly. Why didn't you tell us, Connie? I don't know. I didn't think it mattered. What do you mean? Why wouldn't it matter? Of course it matters. I no, mean... that was meant for me, Calvin. What was meant for you? It's really important to try to hurt me, isn't it? Don't you have that backwards? Oh, and how do I hurt you? By embarrassing you in front of a friend? Poor Beth, she has no idea what her son is up to. He lies and she believes every word of it. I didn't lie. You did, you lied every time you came into this house at 6.30. If it's starting all over again, the lying, the covering up, the disappearing for hours, I will not stand for it. I can't stand it, I really can't. Well, don't then, go to your... Connie, now Connie. Well, the only reason Connie, she cares, there. the only reason she gives a fuck about it Connie. is because someone else knew about it first. Just stop it, Connie. No, stop you it. tell her to stop it. But I, I think it's just, it's such a good movie. And I put it on my list, not because it's one of my favorite movies, but because I was just very pleasantly surprised when I watched it compared to its reputation. Yeah, it is. it does get a bad rap, that one. I mean, it, like you say, with the actors, those actors were... Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore were beloved at the time. Redford was. And it's like Raging Bull was, uh, I'm not criticising it, but this is like the style thing, the, the stylized. It just probably didn't resonate with many people. Whereas this was like, I think it sort of sweeps you up, a very small, private film. And shout out to uh, Timothy Hutton, who was, you know, 20. Mm. Was he 20 when he won? He yeah, was like, like youngest ever. Yeah. And I honestly, I honestly think like all the young actors now, have like Timothy Hutton is should be like their god. Like he like him kind of reaching that level of acclaim but also achieving that performance kind of, you know, paved the way for young actors and actresses to be taken seriously in a way. Yeah. He walked so that Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet could run. Yes. We thank you, Timothy Hutton. We thank you. <laughs> oh, Post says that's two in a row. Actors beat him. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's going yeah, to choose a million dollar baby on me. <laughs> right. Who's next? Joe. That's me. I'm going to go for something uh, quite recent next. And um, potentially controversial, we'll see. I'm going with Spotlight. Yes. <laughs> Silent. <laughs> um, so Spotlight for me, um, that was my pick. The moment I saw it that year, um, I was lucky enough to kind of see it on a BAFTA screener, so I saw it quite early. I planted my flag on it. That was my film. Um, so I was surprised when it won, but sort of not really, because in my gosh, I just like had a feeling. It's it's kind of a complex reason why I, I did love it as a film. Um, I think it's a very simple film in a lot of ways, and I can understand why some people kind of thought it was you know, maybe a little 
too plain, um, but I think it's an amazing ensemble cast. But for me, as someone who was raised in the Catholic Church and who um, kind of turned away from that after um, these child abuse uh, scandals broke out, seeing it play out on screen was very powerful and sort of um, reinforced my own personal decision and the sort of conflicts that I had uh, when I was a teenager in my early 20s and that I, you know, made the right call. No, I'm not going to rush the story, Mike. We don't have a choice, Robbie. If we don't rush to print, somebody else is going to find these letters and butcher the story. Joe Quimby from the Herald was at the freaking courthouse. So we'll write a holding story and we'll keep our eye on the Herald. Keep our eye on the Herald. They yeah. run this and they get it wrong. The church will bury it. We, we got to do this now. Mike, Mike. What? Why, why are we hesitating? Barron told us to get law. This is law. Barron told us to get the system. We need the full scope. That's the only thing that will put an end to this. Now let's take it up to Ben, let him decide. We'll take it to Ben when I say it's time. It's time, Robbie! It's time! They knew, and they let it happen to kids! Okay? It could have been you, it could have been me, it could have been any of us. We gotta nail these scumbags, we gotta show people that nobody can get away with this. Not a priest, or a cardinal, or a freaking pope! And just seeing the work that these people had put into uncovering it and, and the, the victims and their bravery um, meant a lot to me personally. Um, so I think it was an emotional reason why I supported it as well as a sort of critical and kind of um, level-headed approach. This film I've watched three times. I get more emotional the more I watch it. If, if, even if you didn't know nothing about this, to convince you how bad this is, you know, as mm. the, as the discovering it, I mean, in particular, Mark Ruffalo. If I watch it a fourth time, I'm probably gonna cry. You know, <laughs> um, it it's such a human story. I love it, and it, that year when it everyone had given up on it, and I, I honestly did <laughs> predict this to win. I honest to God, I predicted it to win because it was just loved all the way through, and it was the actors' mm. film, and it was up against all these big films. Even Big Short was a showy film. You had Mad Max. And how is it going to beat these? The Revenant, which was, like, going to win everything, apparently. And it's still... You, you know, a, a tribute to journalism and a tribute to the power of journalism and the process, that's always going to be something that, that, that hits with people. If you watch that movie in 10, 20, 50 years' time, it's still going to be as powerful as it, as it is right now. Joe, like you, when I seen it, I was like, this film better win awards. <laughs> right, I... I'll be honest, I'll come out and say it now. And when I came downstairs that morning after and I found out that it won Best Picture, I was I was happy. I remember everyone saying at the time, it's not going to win because it can only win the screenplay. It can't win anything else. And the Oscar people going, it's not going to win. But, you know, when mm. it, as soon as Rachel McAdams got nominated for Best Supporting Actress, you got <laughs> off it. Not that she was bad in it, but she, she'd won nothing. The actors love this film. And that, that's, a massive, that's a massive part of the Academy. It's going to win. Who's next, Doug? Well, speaking of emotional, my next one is Schindler's List, which, you know, is not a... <laughs> this isn't meant as a as an insult, but it's not necessarily a film you really want to go back and watch again and again and again because, <laughs> obviously, it's a very, very heavy film, and, and necessarily so. When you're dealing with something like the Holocaust, it needs to be a heavy film. Um, I respect this film so much because I think it finally gave Steven Spielberg the uh the respect that he deserved i mean he had been 
nominate his films had been nominated he had been nominated but he'd been overlooked so many so many times and you know he, he jaws was nominated but he wasn't nominated for director and uh you know things like et and close encounters and jurassic park I, I, you know he was starting to be pushed into the he's a commercial only director therefore we don't have to pay attention to him other than you know the tech categories um and then he comes out with something like this which is obviously an extremely personal story for him and an extremely personal story for thousands of, if not millions of people around the world. What he achieved in a technical sense, obviously it is a beautiful looking film uh, with his choice to film in black and white with those sorts of occasional bursts of color and John Williams score is iconic. Um, but it's the way that he films in those kinds of uh it almost feels like a documentary at times. It doesn't even feel like a narrative film. The way that he, he has crafted this is unlike anything he had done before. It's it's it, it still has that Spielberg quality, but in a completely different sense. Um, and his, his sort of attention to detail in getting the authenticity of this, making sure that it, it wasn't a manipulative piece that, that I guess that he had been known for in the past. This was as straightforward as it comes for him and it was a very very obviously a very personal film particularly at the end uh, with the way the film wraps up at uh, Schindler's actual grave it's uh, you know uh, again it's not something you really really want to sit down and watch every week it's a very emotional experience even if you're not Jewish or have any connection to that world because I personally don't yet you you can't walk away from this film not being affected I, I i had always been such a spielberg fan because as as a as a 90s kid and an 80s kid he was one of my favorite directors because he had given us so much entertainment but to see him be able to do something on the complete other spectrum in the same year that he made jurassic park you know, to, to, to do both of those and, and to give both sides of the coin of here's a great big box office entertainment popcorn movie and here's a really emotional drama best picture contender uh, that he can. And he still to this day can play both sides of that and has continued to do that for the past sort of 20 years, yeah, 30 still, years. Yeah, he still does it, doesn't he? Sci-fi with yeah. political drama in the same year. And, uh, Kira, what's your second, second pick? Uh, is it second pick? Third? Third, Third, I think. Yeah, cool. I think we'll revisit Clint Eastwood again. Million Dollar Baby. It's a a very emotional film uh, for me, and it's it's one that kind of took a twist that I was not expecting when I watched it. You know, I kind of thought it was going to be rocky, basically, but with a woman at the front, so it's like, yeah, girl power, and then obviously kind of that twist comes in her career ends quite suddenly with her life not too far behind it really it covers a topic that i have very strong opinions on and i think everybody who gets into it is and it's something that is not close to my heart but as i say like i think the the views i have on it and i think this film kind of visualized why i believe in that if that makes sense it's a phenomenal film in my eyes um Clint Eastwood did a fantastic job on it and he actually composed the score for it as well which I think is fascinating like you know he absolutely poured his heart and soul into it I think you know this whole idea that you can go from nothing and achieve your dreams is 
is a massive point that I think is important that we all believe in. And then when it goes and sucker punches you with the second half of the film, it's like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Um, please give me a warning next time. But I think it, it, it just shows like just the two extremes that films can touch on as well. And it really can cover the whole spectrum of emotions in one viewing. Like, I think it's been a long time since in space for about two hours. I've felt all of those things, um, more or less all at once. But um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff, I suppose. Right, I'm going to go with uh, Wings, the very first winner. I watched it again recently. I'm a big fan of Clara Bar and, and all that stuff, pre-sound era. I watched it soon after the release of Dunkirk and it's like mm. oh actually 90 years we've not technically we haven't really come that far you know because mm. the, the cinematography the, the visual effects in this film you won't believe it I know they've added colour on since then and they've done certain things with it but the aerial scenes it's just a great film and there's a great story in it there's a great love story where it kind of bookends the film Clara Bow she's not actually the main star of this film it's it's about the guys going to war but she's in it at the beginning she's unrequited and it comes back to it at the very end just when you think we've forgotten about her we haven't mm. he ha- he hasn't and it's a, it's just a perfect film it is one of my favourite films of all time yeah I just found my little review of it and one of the lines I said was sure it's no Dunkirk but for its era, it's a damn masterpiece. I was I was blown away because I'd, I'd never seen it. And so I sought it out because I watched all the Best Picture winners last year. And, uh, yeah, I, I, the, the aerial cinematography, the, the, the dog fights they do with the planes, it's unbelievable. For, for, that, for that era, I'm, I was just staggered that they actually managed to, to film some of those sequences without the use of obviously cgi and special effects that this is it's all physical filmmaking and that's what they had to do in those days they had no choice but to work out a way to actually create this for real and the result is it's amazing and i know some people have probably pulled away from it a little bit because it's a silent film there's obviously no dialogue there's no speaking it's still it's got the title cards on screen with the with the words and that that obviously is makes it a little bit unaccessible for a lot of people but when you when you just watch the visuals of it it's it's unbelievable i yeah i completely agree it's one of the most deserving best picture winners which is odd given it was the very first one but i was so so surprised i was not expecting that at all so who are we at now is it back to audrey so my next pick is the sting for two, no, three very, very specific reasons. One of them is Robert Redford. One of them is Paul Newman. And the third one is that I think it's probably one of, like, the most perfect scripts ever written. Like, the story is so tight and, like, well-constructed that it just it fires on all cylinders. It's, it's just, like, a great twist and turn until you get to the end. Um, Robert Redford and Paul Newman are, as always, incredible together. Paul Newman plays the most amazing drunk slash fake drunk. Uh, the card scene where they're playing poker at the table is incredible. Yeah, it's just an amazing movie. I love it. Anybody want to comment on The Exorcist? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is a film I give a bad rap to because of The Exorcist, but that's personal. Uh, I, I agree with you about the script. It, you know, it's such a cheeky film. Yeah, I feel like it blends, like, there are really, really light moments, and then there's also drama. Like, it blends both really well, and, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those movies that makes me happy when I watch it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm interested, I'm engaged, and I'm happy. <laughs> And it's so stylish as well. It's just the charm and charisma of those two. It's just like, it's it's irresistible. That their, their chemistry together on screen, yeah. they, make such, they make such a great duo. I mean, it's, they're just perfect together. Sorry, I was just going to ask, um, was it the favourite that year? I, I just don't have a sense of the, of the kind of background of that year. Was it the... Was it always going to win, or well, we don't know. We had no bloggers then. We we don't know. <laughs> um, I, I would I would have probably said so. I mean, it won a lot. Yeah, you know, and those yeah. two, you're looking at the back of Butch Cassidy as well, which didn't win. There's probably that was probably on the on the mind, and they've all teamed up again with a director. And I, I don't think a horror film was going to win. And I think Exorcist was the only other film that could have won. That just like you said, I think like Doug said, it kind of charmed them. And Friedkin had just mm-hmm. won for the French Connection. There's stuff like that you have to consider. I think it probably was the film, but yeah. It just just looking that up, it, it took over 155 million in the US, and when that's when that's adjusted for inflation today, that's around 800 million dollars. Which actually, when adjusted for inflation, that makes it the 20th highest-grossing film in the US of all time. Wow! So it, it was like staggeringly, staggeringly successful. And the, the soundtrack went number one with its, like, ragtime. And ragtime music had a resurgence because of that movie. So I think culturally it, it actually was far... I think we forget how popular it was at the time because it's just... It's one of those ones that's kind of been overlooked over the years, That especially because I think people compare it to the beating The Exorcist. I never realised that there was a whole big thing about it being The Exorcist. Just because I, I guess I never really thought anyone would have gone into Oscars expecting a horror movie, even though The Exorcist is, like, a really amazing horror movie, mm. to win, like, just isn't... I don't know. Who's next, Joe? I'm next. I'm going with what I consider to be an ne- as perfect a film as you can get, and it's Chicago. Uh, back to musicals, because that's, that's just how I roll. That's um, fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, don't say help me out with this, but I just adore this film. I I just think it is and pun absolutely intended. It is beat perfect. There is no misstep in this film. There just the director's vision, the production design, the costume, the performances. I mean, they just like all those actors are just on their absolute a game. I'm particularly thinking of. John C. Riley, who has quite a small role in this, but it is just perfect. Um, Renée Zellweger should have won that year, but we won't talk about Full Mountain. Um, <laughs> Jones uh, did win and well deserved, um, and also performed like really heavily pregnant at that award ceremony. I just, yeah, I cannot say enough great things about this this film. I, as I said, I rewatched it recently, and I was, I actually made a, I say a joke. I, I said on Twitter that. I'm surprised they bothered making films after this because <laughs> where do you go from here? Like this is this is it. It was the first musical to to win since Oliver in the late '60s, um, and I it you know it's the influence it had on the kind of big Hollywood musical since stuff like 
Dream Girl, so, so sorry, so Chicago and Moulin Rouge, let's give kind of credence to, to Moulin Rouge, uh, you know, kind of kickstarted a resurgence and we got stuff like Dream Girls and Hairspray and, you know, even La La Land, you know, like the musical sort of came back and we have Chicago to thank for that. I'm just, I have a big smile on my face even just like talking about it. <laughs> I'm always so surprised when people think about um, Renee Zellweger in this movie and how um, there's so many people who talk about how, like, how can you expect Renee Zellweger to play this this starlet? Like, she doesn't look like a, you know, like a starlet. And it's like, that's the point. She's like a failed singer, like a lounge club singer. Not, <laughs> she's not meant to be this. Anyway, yeah, people misunderstand Chicago. I think Chicago's pretty good. I enjoy it. Um, there are some musical sequences that are just like chef's kiss amazing. Um, so <laughs> I definitely like Chicago. That ventriloquist one. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah. that's And incredible. the cell block tango is just yeah, perfect. So Awesome. I know a lot of people could say that, you know, because it beat, again, it's one of those, it beats something else. It beat The Pianist. And I I agree, The Pianist is a brilliant film, a, another heavy, heavy film. And it's obviously a little bit tainted because of the whole Roman Polanski connection. But there was just something so joyous about Chicago. And you leave the cinema smiling and entertained and just completely blown away by what you've watched. And I don't have an issue with something like that winning Best Picture. It doesn't happen often because they so often go for the heavy drama, the one that makes you distraught and emotional. And I and I get that that's an important part of what makes it, some pictures great. But Rob Marshall understood musicals. He gets it. He, he, is, he has a background in choreography. Um, he was the perfect person to bring this to the screen. And he understood the difficulty that musicals often face with a lot of people in that a lot of people will not accept people breaking into song in place of speaking. So every musical number in that film is staged in Roxy Hart's head. It's not taking place in reality. People are bursting into song in her fantasies, not in reality. And that makes Chicago so much more accessible for those outside the musical genre because they can accept what's happening because it's not really happening in a sense. It's her delusions. It's her fantasies of what she wants her life. She wants her life to be a musical. She loves, she wants to be a performer so that she, when she needs to go into that place, she starts imagining song and dance in place of words. And it makes Chicago something different to a lot of other musicals where people are just walking down the street and burst into song. You see, there's two ways I could look at it. The, 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 like you say, what it be or that it was not worthy of winning Best Picture, etc., etc. But I think with this film, you have to leave politics out of it to an extent. I think, I think whether it's not the fact that it... I don't think it beat... Uh, the pianist. I think the pianist was crept up late. I think Chicago was always going to mm-hmm. win. What I'm a bit disappointed about is that it, Bob Marshall isn't the best director. That, you know, yeah. it, it, he won the he won the Guild, and mm. it's just a film where the, the director needs to be given something for that. You know, and again, I agree with Renny Zellweger should have won. Kira, the Deer Hunter. Now, this for me, it's it's kind of I mean, obviously, it's 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 an epic film. Um, it's one that kind of 
when you're watching it, um, it's not one you put on late at night because it, if it feels like it's never going to end during the day, it, it certainly will never end when you fall asleep uh, <laughs> at midnight or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a long one, but I think, I don't know, I think we're, we're allowed to let it revel in itself for as long as it does because there was a fight to get this film made or at least a fight to get it made with the people that you know we see in the film um at the time when the film was in production john kazali was um well he was dying of cancer at the time and no nobody would insure him to be on that set um so robert's near actually put the money up himself to cover him in order for him to be in the film and i believe kazali actually died before it got to the Oscars night where this film won Best Picture. But obviously, kind of production woes aside, it's kind of a reactionary piece to the Vietnam War and the way soldiers were being treated in and after the war. And I think it's just, it's another one of those films that it told an important perspective and as a result i think it more than earned its uh win for best picture that year and it stands as a testament to the story that it tells and i think that the efforts that people went to in order to get it made um kind of shows what sort of faith they had in it and that they fully believe that it always deserved to win that and i think you know, it's it's good to get behind films that have that kind of faith in the story that they're telling, that they can fully get behind it. And there's, there's something very powerful about that for me. And, it, it you know, it might not be the best way to critique films or decide in which way, you know, are they best deserving of this or not. Um, but, you know, I appreciate hard work and you know, sort of conviction in the story that you're telling and this is it ticks all the boxes for me yeah i think that's some of the reasons films do win sometimes is what goes on behind the scenes and this i remember my wife told me about that meryl streep like was the john Cazale before he passed he, she was talking to him holding his hand you know it's like huh it's, it's sort of very emotional you know stuff that I mean, that guy that if you look at that guy's career he made like what six films yeah, they're all great films, you know. Yeah, and he had a great acting community around him. It's so it's kind of a tragic story in a way, but you know the that that kind of pulling together thing that you mentioned. I know the director had a lot of issues as well. Well, later on, making films, you know. So yeah, it's a real kind of I don't want to say rags to riches, but it's there's a lot of poignancy behind it. Uh, and the film is the film is really good. You know, it's in three. It's like a three part. Serious, yeah. you know. You, you watch these three films, and he nails every single one. As the token American on the podcast, um, <laughs> the the last scene where they're all together and they're singing "God Bless America" is so like emotionally effective for me because it's this like 
ironic, detached patriotism and you're watching these people who have like sacrificed so much for something and there's no good reason why and they know it. It's it like it really gets me. Like it's it's a good scene. Um Doug, I believe it's you. <laughs> okay, uh, so I picked one that I don't think gets a lot of uh, respect that it deserves, and that's the apartment. Um, I, I don't think a lot, probably a lot of people may not have seen it, but um, I watched this last year for the first time and was just blown away that that something like this existed in 1960. Um, it's it was well ahead of its time. Um, I think a lot of people dismiss it as just, on its surface, it looks like quite a fluffy romantic comedy, um, obviously between uh, Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, who have the most beautiful chemistry together. They are just fantastic to watch. But the, the, it also covers some pretty um, serious issues. Uh, it touches on suicide. It touches on drug problems. Uh, it touches on... Uh, adultery and it, it, it's not really what you would expect from a lot of the 1960s films which you think are just usually that sort of giddy romance type stuff it it, it, it tackled uh, women's rights issues and, and things about misogyny and sexism in the workplace uh, and, and the fact that it, it, it there's, there's an attempt at suicide by one of the characters is something that you just didn't see in cinema in the 1960s um, and you know, Billy, I think this was Billy Wilder's, I think, third vi- uh, win for screenplay. Uh, I think it was his second for best director at the time. It's it's something that I just, I don't think gets a lot of respect. And I, I, after watching it, I was quite surprised because I think it's it's definitely one of the, the best, best picture winners there's ever been. Um, I think there was maybe a bit of controversy around its kind of risque narrative in that it was about philandering husbands and uh, you know them them getting away with whatever they wanted to do and treating women terribly, but it really did shine a light on the fact that women were being treated like this, particularly in the workplace. And you know, it's quite an eye-opening film, and it was quite daring and groundbreaking for its time. Um, and I think when you when you go back and watch it now, in the wake of the Me Too movement and the Weinstein uh, scandals, it's actually as relevant as, if not more so than it was in the 1960s. Um, and I think it, it really balances light and shade quite well. Like there's a, there's quite a lot of comedy in it, but there's quite a lot of darkness in it as well. Uh, and I don't, I don't think people sort of, I don't, I don't often see it listed in the sort of top 10, top 20 best picture winners of all time. And I absolutely think it should be. I'm on my own. That's funny. So am I. What'd you do with the cards? In there. What about Mr. Sheldrake? I'm gonna send him a fruitcake every Christmas. Cut. I love you, Miss Kubelik. Three. Queen. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kublik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. I love the apartment. Um, I think it's exactly what you're saying. Because it, it's it's billed as a romantic comedy, but it's it's mm. it's actually quite sad. It's mm. I think mm. it's one of the first movies that really 
um, has an honest acknowledgement of what this sort of workplace philandering that's that's accepted so much in you know 1960s corporate the 1960s corporate world where men are just expected that it's okay for them to be having relationships on the side with their employees and people who work with them. And I think it, it's the first honest acknowledgement of that from the women's perspective and like how that does affect you as, as a woman, like being treated like this and, and um, being in this gray area where like this person is telling you that they care about you, but you're never going to be their wife. You know, mm-hmm. they're always going to go back to their wife and, um, yeah, it's, it's they're both amazing in it. Shirley MacLaine's wonderful, and Jack Lemmon obviously is always great. Right, next one. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and anticipate what's coming later. So for now, I'm gonna save one till the end. I'm gonna pick the Last Emperor for now, which I think is kind of one of the most misunderstood Best Picture winners. I think it's a great film. It got criticised for being a little, not very emotional or not not really engaging emotionally. I don't think that really matters to me because it's, it's kind of like watching a piece of history. This kid who's basically is a toddler when he's, cr- you know, becomes the emperor. But you watch the kid growing up, like talking about l- the language. And I last watched the massive version. There's, a, there's like a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour version of it. Mm. And I sat, I sat through it. I didn't think I would. And it's one of those films I, I talked about. When you're a kid, you, I can't get through this, like Gandhi and films like that. Gandhi now, but this is a film, as an adult, I really enjoy it. It, it won every single Oscar. It was nominated for nine. Competition, public broadcast news, Moonstruck. But this, again, was like ticked all the boxes, you know, and just beautiful film. Yeah, I think I think it gets criticised because a lot of people just say it's too long and yeah. that that's just, it's just too much for some people, but they actually got authority from... Chinese government to film in the Forbidden City. It just adds that authenticity to this piece that it, it, it needs. You could recreate those locations on the soundstage. You couldn't. You could get that authenticity and that 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 scope of what that those areas look like in China without actually filming them. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that yeah, they're using thousands of extras and the, the costuming that would have gone into that and the the, the creation of of, of recreating. Um, that moment in history uh, it's just uh, the achievement level on this film is is outrageous like they actually managed to pull off the, the like that's really good as well the really good writing yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of films like this just get don't matter about the writing it's about how it looks but mm. the writing and the characterizations yeah, and the score yeah. the score as well it's a beautiful score and I, I think when you look at the other four on these I can't really make a strong case for, for any of them uh, they're, they're, they're great films but I don't think they had the kind of achievement The Last Emperor has, absolutely. So we'll quickly go back to Kira, if that's okay, for her final uh, choice. Yeah, um, my final choice is The Silence of the Lambs. Now, this is like, it's it's just a legendary film, isn't it? (laughs) It was the last film, I believe, to win the big fight, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, It's fantastic. Anthony Hopkins, where do you even start? And he's just, it's mind-blowing, like, this man, this, and you, you see him, he's, he's, you know, he's this lovely little Welsh man, and, <laughs> and in this film, he's very different, I mean, and, and the hissing, hissing was just <laughs> iconic, I think the clicking in Hereditary this year is kind of like yeah. the latest, it's, it's the equivalent to the hissing. I've got shivers. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we get Jodie Foster, who, you know, she is flying the flag for all the ladies in the world in this film. Like, she is, it's, it's, she is doing a job that, you know, all the boys would fight her for it. And she absolutely owns it. And do you know what? She was unconventional in her approach. But did she get the job done? Yes, she did. So that's that's just another thing like from a female point of view that's that's what we loved about it and when you look at what other women were doing in film at the time i think it's kind of a landmark role and landmark performance from her and i actually think we kind of covered this before didn't we joe in the women in film episode that we did before um and yeah she just it's an important role for women in film i think more complicated than a horror but it um kind of opened the gates for horror to be taken seriously um, in, in the, the awards kind of game. Joe, do you want to do your last one? Sure thing. My last one, I feel, is my most controversial. Uh, I absolutely adored it at the time, but since kind of delving further into hashtag film Twitter, I realised that <laughs> not many people agree with me. My last pick is The Artist. I loved it. I love films about filmmaking and like old Hollywood and it just ticked all the boxes for me you know it was silent it was black and white there was like amazing dance sequences in it I just you know I yeah I just really really responded to it I also think sort of the context of my life at the time I was doing my dissertation I was just finishing up my film studies so in a way it was sort of like the perfect end to that kind of part of my life so maybe that's a, like a lot of the reason why I sort of have great affection for it. I don't really understand the hate it gets. I think maybe, you know, we spoke about this at length, but compared to the other films that were up for Best Picture, I think that's maybe why people are a bit against it. But um, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I agree. I agree with you. I think Hugo was like the big the film that came at the end. I think Descendants, yeah. mm. The Descendants was the favourite at one point, but... And the artist was like out of can like ten months earlier. It was, it was big already, and I think people like that get that gets stick for the reasons we've talked about for, for the wrong that's just for the wrong reasons. I think it was. I think a lot of people grumbled about the artist because in a lot of ways it typified at that point in time the sort of out of touchness of the Academy Awards, where it's mm. like they're gonna they're gonna have a silent black and white movie win best picture <laughs> come on i love the artist oh now that i'm thinking about it i is this actually the fifth version of a star is born and <laughs> yeah. Kind of oh, yeah i'm obviously with the right people then so <laughs> <laughs> i think i think people just just dismiss it as a gimmick that's that's the thing that, that they think it was just you know a gimmicky a gimmicky film to uh, sort of recapture the silent film mirror and, and do that, but it's like you know that that that's a, like a, most films have some sort of gimmick to them, that there is some sort of angle that they're pushing. That you know you could say Unforgiven was a gimmick because it revi- you know rehashed the western genre. It, it, it's an un, it's unfair to call to dismiss something as that just because you didn't like it. And I think it 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 obviously resonated with the older members of the Academy because they rem- they remembered the classic. Hollywood period that this film is portraying and I suppose younger people may look at that and be like well I've never seen a silent film before I have no idea what this movie is about I'm just going to completely ignore it and then shit all over it when it wins best picture because of course it's going to win best picture you know it's it's a gimmick 
But even though there was, because I think there was eight, eight or nine other nominees that year, I I couldn't pick one of them as being more deserving. Because we're like we're in the blogosphere, I think we we do get that bad vibe. But I remember that that bad vibe didn't really come until it looked like it was definitely going to win. You know, mm, and then everyone mm. starts going, "Oh, it's going to win." So my last one, when I ranked all at the time, it was eighty nine best picture winners. Uh, I got quite a lot of grief for not having one of the two Godfather movies in my number one spot, as most lists of Best Picture winners do. I I instead went with All About Eve. Personally, I feel it's one of the most perfect films of all time. You know, the fact that it, it got 14 nominations, making it the most in history at the time, which has now been repeated twice, I, I think that shows how incredible this film is. And uh, uh, for its time, it... it, it it's something that I feel like you could take its screenplay and make it today and obviously change some references and things. But other than that, it's still pitch perfect. It, it is so well written and the sort of way it pulls the curtain back on fame and celebrity and the like the acting world and Hollywood and, and the notion of uh, this is also kind of a star is born moment in that it's, it's about an, an aging performer who is, losing her shine and she's stepping the spotlight is moving on to someone else who just happens to be it's a little bit different obviously because in this in this film it's a sort of a backstabbing opportunist who is (laughs) it starts off starts off as a fan and then steals the spotlight away from her and like betty uh, betty davis is just she's so fantastic in this film i think this for me this is her, her best performance and i i i can't fathom how she didn't win best actress for this fasten your seatbelts but yeah the dialogue is just it's so sharp and it's it, it it really tackles that sort of the fickle nature of show business and celebrity in that and the the realities for women in the industry that when you reach a certain age the industry starts to turn its back on you and starts to focus on the younger ingenue instead in your place and the fact that you know that that's in 1950 and yet you could do that right now and it's still the exact same situation for women the exact same situation for the industry that 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 narrative transposes perfectly into 2018 and to me that's the mark of a truly great film in that this film hasn't aged a day it is still as relevant and powerful and important and masterful as it was back then and that that's why i put it at my number one of all the best picture winners because i think it's such a remarkable achievement it's interesting you saying that you know it's relevant today because I saw The Favourite a few weeks ago and mm. all I could think when I was watching it was this is all about Eve. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, difference obviously, but it, mm. it really has like the spirit of all about Eve. Yeah, I think it has been remade or, or kind of reimagined um, in that context. So, uh, Should we go back to Audrey? Yeah, so my last pick is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's not like a super fun movie to watch, but <laughs> it's really, really important. Like, it's look at um, mental health institutions in America and 
also the race and gender politics within an institution in America where all the doctors are white men, all the nurses are white women, and all the orderlies are black men. And it's just like this very stratified structure in place. Um, so it's interesting to watch for that. Jack Nicholson, I feel like this is one of his top three movies, I would say. He's amazing in it. But I can't get over um, Billy Bibbit. Like, that character is so, <laughs> so powerful to me. Like, his journey throughout the film and the scene. Um, where he's talking to Nurse Ratchet and he's not stuttering for once and then his the, the nurse brings up his mother and you just see him crumble. It's an incredible performance. Brad Dorff, that's who I, I couldn't remember yeah. his name. His performance is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favourite films ever. It's, yeah, and another film that won the big, you know, the big five. Because I'm going to pick Amadeus, which is also a Miller's foreman. I know we lost him recently. Amadeus, he, he won again, like... Was it eight years, nine years later? I mean, one from the Cuckoo's Nest used to be my favourite, but Amadeus. Now I, I can't choose between them, and and I mentioned the eighties before, and I've picked a couple of films from the eighties, but very poor decade for film. This had some, you know, decent competition, Passage to India and The Killing Fields. But this was always, again, this was always going to be the winner. It had everything going for it, and and that mix of drama and comedy which Milos Forman did so well. So, I mean, that's my final pick, Amadeus. I think it, it won about eight Oscars. Mm. Absolutely flawless film. And that also has an extended uh, a, a version which I've watched and is possibly better. You know? But can I say that? Yeah, so that, that's my final pick, Amadeus. Two two great Milos Forman films there. Yeah, I was I, I had avoided Amadeus for so many years I don't I don't know why I had just I guess I had dismissed it as looking like just you know a stuffy period piece that that just had I had no interest in watching and so in in watching all best picture winners last year it was probably the biggest surprise of of watching all of them I I loved that movie it it is so entertaining it is so enjoyable it's it's funny and it's sad and it's gripping and it's it just—it's it, such a surprise. I guess I just thought a movie centered around classical music and composers just couldn't couldn't possibly have that kind of entertainment factor in it. And yet, it is—it's so enjoyable to watch. It's something that I I watched again, uh, you know, two weeks later because I just wanted to go back and revisit it. 